All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your presence. We thank you that you do not leave us alone, but as we gather, you manifest yourself to us in various ways. We thank you for the victory this morning because you told us in your word that we overcome the devil by the word of our testimony. So he certainly has a black eye this morning. Lord, as we continue and we look in your word and and, uh, allow your Holy Spirit to speak to us, I pray that it just continue, not change, but continue and crescendo so that you would continue to do your work in us maybe even to help us understand what we just did. I thank you for this time together. And I do pray that you would fill my mind with your thoughts and fill my mouth with your words and speak to each one of us by the voice of your Holy Spirit. I thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I sat right over there and decided I was going to speak on this topic because of everything that was going on. And created this sermon and got PowerPoint put together and sent it to uh, William back there. And if you believe that, I got some oceanfront property in Tennessee for you. The title of today's message, if you hadn't figured it out already, be real easy to figure it out. But it's the value of anointed praise and worship. And we're going through, uh, in the last several weeks, we're going through this acronym, REAP. And, you know, you could... Uh, as I said before, uh, really all you had to do is just look at the front of your bullet and you knew what we were talking about today. But it seemed like the Holy Spirit, as Don said, hijacked our time together and, and had us, uh, uh, helped us, and that's one of the things I'm going to get to, but helped us to bring anointed praise and worship before the throne of God. And, uh, but as we, as we go through this acronym of REAP, uh, uh, two weeks ago we covered uh, the R, reaching out to the lost and unchurched of our community. And then last week, we talked about equipping and discipling God's people to do the work of the ministry. And I can't, obviously, I'm not even going to try to go back and review those. They're available in various outlets, audio, video. Which brings us to today, the A on the front of your bulletin says, Anointed Praise and worship that exalts the Lord Jesus Christ and sets the captives free. As we, the elders, were putting together this acronym under the banner of preparing God's people for the mission field of life, we felt like this had to be a part of our DNA. This this was a part and is a part of our DNA as Abundant Life Church. The fact is, probably most congregations would, uh, would say the same thing, but we felt like that we, um, at Abundant Life Church for many, many years, long before I got here and most of you got here, uh, that one of the, one of the hallmarks of our time together is, has been our time of praise and worship. Um, and so, you know, the truth is some congregations, uh, emphasize different parts of their time together and, and they de-emphasize other parts. And we tried not to do that. It just sort of developed that we have a great time of anointed praise and worship. I'll get to that in a moment, but specifically, 
not exclusively, but specifically what we're talking about today is gathering together. Everybody say together. together. Gathering together to corporately offer praise and worship to the Lord Jesus. Now, again, I want to repeat that that is whatever number or whatever configuration that comes into. I mean, it doesn't have to be this. It doesn't have to be in a church building. It does not have to be on Sunday morning. It can be, Jesus said, two or three. He said, if it got two or three, I'm there. So you don't have to have, you know, a hundred or a thousand or ten thousand. If two or three are gathered together, Jesus said he was going to be there. So when we talk about corporate worship, it could be three people. And, you know, I, I, there are a lot of valid, godly, God-fearing house churches today. They never meet on Sunday. They meet on Tuesday night or whatever. I'm for it. I'm for it. Whatever it comes out to, whatever the configuration is, we gather together in some way, at some, in some point, and we worship. We praise and worship the Lord Jesus. And in so doing, one of the things we're doing, and one of the things we've already done this morning, and we continue to do, is exalting Jesus, exalting the Lord Jesus. And uh, that's so important for our time together. And of course, as, as our as our uh, acronym says, also during that time is that we the Holy Spirit is setting people free. One of the reasons for that is, and I may come back to this, one of the reasons for that is if you're exalting the Lord Jesus above your sickness, above your, your checkbook laughing at you, above your relationship issues, if you're exalting the Lord Jesus, then it puts you in a posture to allow his Holy Spirit to do a work in you to set you free. I'll come back to that. But if you would turn with me to Psalm 95, and uh, we're going to look at this, this psalm together. I'll at least have you out of here by 1130 or 12. Don't, don't worry. If you got something in the oven, Cracker Barrels can fix your lunch if it burns. I'm, I'm just kidding. Well, I maybe. <laughs> we'll see. Um, psalm 95, if you would stand while we read this. I'm, I'm going to read the entire psalm from the English Standard Version. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving and let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all things. Isn't it great that we sang a song this morning, God, you do great things? How did God know what I was going to do? In his hand are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa, in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. Boy, that's something. For 40 years, I loathed that generation. Never let it be said of us that God loathed us. That generation, and said they are a people who go astray. Watch where they go astray in their heart. And they have not known my ways. Therefore... I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. You can be seated. 
the problem with this message, and don't let this scare you, is not what I would say. The problem with this message is what I don't say, <laughs> what I choose not to say, because there's so much. But anyway, I want to start with that word anointed, anointed praise and worship. When we sat down up here that many years ago, uh, I've been the pastor here 21 years, so it has to be just a little less than that. Um, and we were developing this acronym. We wanted it to be not just praise and worship, but anointed praise and worship. And one of the reasons for that is, and it was alluded to last week, but we have, we have an anointed praise and worship team. And the reason they're anointed is, is not that they're gifted and they are, they are gifted and they're talented, but that they submit themselves to the Lord Jesus. And allow the Holy Spirit to work through them. There's also an anointed, a time of anointed praise and worship because you and I come to this room, in our particular case, we come to this room in this configuration and we submit ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit and we begin to praise and worship Him and the Holy Spirit helps us. Anointing is just a word that means to set apart. To set apart, or it, it, it describes rubbing with oil, thus consecrating something. You, you, they would uh, set apart a priest. They would put oil on the priest and set him apart and consecrate him for the service. And so our our praise and worship is consecrated unto him, unto him. And it's as I said earlier, it's blessed. By the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And, and this gets us beyond just singing songs. Uh, you can sing songs everywhere. You can, you can sing Christian songs. Uh, excuse my southern, but until the cows come home. But if it's not, the Holy Spirit's not involved, you're just singing songs. It's great to sing songs. But we're talking about praise and worship that gets to the throne of God. We're talking about serving God through our worship. And we're talking again, we're particularly talking about getting together, which brings us to the point number two, let us. Everybody say let us. See, the, the word there, us, it's the corporate nature of praise and worship is what we're talking about. Again, that you, you could worship God and praise God by yourself, and I encourage you to do so. But we're talking about today, God's people gathering together. Let us, everybody say us. See, then you don't have a mouse in your pocket. That's everybody else. Let us sing. Let us make a joyful noise unto the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us, let us, let us. Uh, I don't want everyone to hear about people saying, well, we shouldn't gather together. You know, we shouldn't get together uh, and worship God or praise God. It's not necessary. You know, I heard some friends years ago, I can just go out in the woods and around the trees and I can find God. With me, Just me and the trees. No, you can't. No, you can't. You can find his creation. And you can, you, I mean, if you're, if you're participating with other people, yeah, you can do that. But that's all you're doing. You're just going to be getting uh, around the trees. At us. And when you look around the room today and you see the seats that are empty and you imagine other people sitting in these seats that normally would be here today, that's the us. That's the us of Abundant Life Church. 
Let us do all of these things. Come into his presence with thanksgiving. Psalm 16 says, in your presence is fullness of joy. So when we gather, you can get in his presence without doing this, but when we do this and we gather and we've, we experience the presence of God, he is, we are, we are experiencing the fullness of his joy, which gives us our strength. He says, make a joyful noise, which means no wasted words to him with songs of praise. Make a joyful noise to God. Exalt the Lord Jesus. Why? Why do we, why do we come and exalt God? Why do we come and with praise and worship? Why do we do these things? Well, he tells us right there in the scripture. He says the Lord is a great God. And sometimes we want deep truths. We want complicated truths. Uh, let me just tell you a simple truth, and that is this. The Lord is a great God. Let's say that together. The Lord is a great God. And that's enough. The Lord's a great, he's a, he says a, he's a great king above all gods, little g. He's a great king over any God that's trying to rule your life today. There's a lot of little God, little g gods out there trying to dominate us, distract us, divert us. But God is a great king over all of those. And we should never let other little g gods rule us. He's the king of the whole world. And the object of our time together is to exalt the Lord. That's our object. That's our the reason we gather. I mean, we like seeing each other and we like having testimonies. We like doing the things. But even in the testimonies, we're exalting him. He's exalted over the universe. He rules over all. And whatever that trial is that you're going through, whatever that adversity is that you're facing, he's the Lord of that. Someone said we're reminded, there's been so many testimonies, I can't remember who, but we're reminded that in the trial, God has not abandoned us. As a matter of fact, that's when he's most with us. When you're facing the difficulty, when you're facing the challenge, and you don't know what tomorrow holds, then God's right there. And he's not mad at you. And you're not going through the trial because you did something wrong. You're going through the trial because you did something right. And God needs to shape you and mold you and order your steps. And in so doing, we exalt him because he rules over every situation that we have. He goes on to say uh, in verse 4, in his hands, in his hands, he's got the whole world. In his hands, he got the whole world. And he does. And you know what? You're part of the whole world. You didn't sound like you believe that. You're part of the whole world. Yeah, you are. You got, he's got you in his hands. He said, in his hands are the depths of the earth. In his hands. In his hands are the heights of the mountains. Now I got a, I got a Florida education. Redneck Riviera. But I just figured out that covered everything from the depths to the heights and everything in between. 
I'll show you my diploma sometime. And then he says, the C, S-E-A, is his. The C is his. Why is, well, the C is his? Yeah, he said, because he made it. He made it. You said, well, these are all simple things. You're a simpleton. Well, you already knew that to start with. But I want to tell you the simple truth is that the writer of Psalm 95 is telling us that we should come together. Let us come praise and worship. Why? Because the sea is his. He made the sea. His hands formed the dry land. When you walk out this door and you walk out on the, in the yard and you walk on the grass and you walk on the dirt, God's hands formed it. God's hands made that. And you take all of these truths about God. What, what is our response? Well, automatically our response is, how great is our God? Our God does great things. He's a great God over all kings. And all other gods. Then he, then he, and he sort of repeats himself. When you get down into verse, uh, six, he says, Oh, come. Let us worship. But he adds something here. Come, let us worship and bow down. So now we're going, we're still praising, we're still worshiping, but now we're assuming a posture of submissiveness, a posture of subservient. A posture that testifies by our very posture that God sits on the throne and he is our Lord. He is our master. And we bow before him because of who he is and because of who we are. Let us worship and bow down because. Why do we do that? Because we are the people Everybody say people of his pasture. We are the sheep of his hand. We are his. And of course, if you're taking notes, you're going to want to write down Psalm 100. It's almost a quote of this. But the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. And because of that, we come together, right, in a configuration like this. We come together and we worship and we bow down. Now, sometimes we physically bow down. But we should always be bowing down in our hearts, in our, in our singing, and in our testifying, and in our worship. You know, when you bring your tithe and offering for, when you come to the Lord's table and get communion elements, you come with a bowed down attitude and posture. And you do that not because of anything else except that you're coming before a living God. And then he says, hear his voice. Today, it's interesting that whoever did the dividing, uh, you do know that when this was written, there were no verses. Whoever did the dividing in verse 7, it says, in the sheep of his hand. And then it says, today, if you hear his voice, you would think that that would have been moved down to verse 8. I don't know what their thinking was, but I can tell you what my thinking is. That it's just a continuation. He said, we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Hear his voice. And that's in the context of verse 6 and verse 7. In the, in the time of worship, in the time of praise and worship, in the time when God's moving by his Holy Spirit and with his presence, 
That's the time that we need to hear his voice. And we do not need to harden our hearts. What's, what causes us to harden our hearts? Well, first of all, sometimes we might just have disregard. We might just disregard God in that moment. Maybe we walked in this room with so much going on in our lives that we can't even think about worshiping God or bowing down before God. There's also the matter of pride. Some people do not hear God's voice because they already know. You ever met anybody that knows everything? If you hadn't, you got a great experience waiting. Yeah, you know, I went down the street and I saw a bicycle. Yeah, I knew that. You know, somebody said one time, I, I met somebody. As a matter of fact, it was Johnny's daddy told me this one time. He said, I met a guy who had been everywhere but the moon and the gas chamber and seen everything but the wind. <laughs> because pride causes us to not hear God's voice because we don't need to. Why don't we need to? It's because we already know everything. I hate to break it to you. You don't. And you need to have a posture of praise and worship that brings you to a place that you hear his voice. And don't find yourself in a place where it says God loathed them. And God said, they'll never enter into my rest. Because they, through pride and disregard, they have hardened their hearts to my voice. We always want to hear God's voice. Which brings us to point number three. That is that we exalt the Lord Jesus. We exalt the Lord. There's so much here. One of the things we need to be careful of as we gather together, and boy, this morning was a, a great example of the right way to do it. But one of the things we, we need to be careful of is gathering together and singing songs that are about us. Singing songs that are intended to manipulate God into doing what we want. Or singing songs that are over, uh, overly emphasizing our feelings. As a matter of fact, I got some quotes here if you'll bear with me. Um, a guy named Monty Wilson, <laughs> he wrote a book called Churchorama or Corporate Worship. For the modern evangelical, worship is defined exclusively in terms of the individual's experience. Worship, then, is not about adoring God, but about being nourished with religious feelings. So much so that the worshiper has become the object of worship. When we study the ancient approach to worship, however, we see that the church did not overly concern itself with feelings of devotion but rather with heartfelt and biblically informed obedience. Moreover, believers had a firm grasp on the fact that when they gathered as a church, their worship was to be a corporate expression. Church worship was not a gathering of individuals, but a gathering of the body of Christ. And if you don't, if we don't take that attitude, we don't exalt the Lord Jesus. Eugene Peterson uh, wrote this before he died. 
Come on now, you got to be quicker than that. It's the only time he could have written it. You're too short to hear what I'm saying. Going right over your head. Anyway, worship is the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of God. Worship is the time and place that we assign for deliberate attentiveness to God. Not because he's confined to time and place, but because our self-importance is so insidiously relentless that if we don't deliberately interrupt ourselves, everybody say that together, interrupt ourselves, interrupt ourselves. Regularly, we have no chance of attending to him at all at other times and in other places. Jack Hayford said it this way, worship that refuses to move beyond entertainment and stimulation will over time display a tendency to corrupt itself. Contemporary worship, and this is a man that wrote some of the greatest gospel worshiping, worship songs, majesty, worship his majesty. Contemporary worship must move beyond stimulation to transformation and incarnation. Do you come in here on Sunday morning expecting God to transform you by the work of his Holy Spirit through your praise and worship of him? Or do you come in here looking for God to make you feel good? A worship experience that does not propel us to our mission is a faulty one at best. Brother Charles Simpson said it this way, worship that doesn't move us to mission is deception. Because we've deceived ourselves into thinking worship's about us. Worship, when we leave out of here, worship, praise and worship in all forms of worship should have motivated us to our mission, not to our feelings. Now I'm all for feelings. Again, Brother Charles Simpson said one time, if you can have it and not feel it, you can lose it and not know it. I'm for all for feelings. But I don't want my feelings governing me. I don't want them dictating what I do, when I do, and how I do it. Psalm 107 said, let them extol him also in the congregation of the people and praise him at the seat of the elders. Praise him in the congregation and at the seat of the elders, which is just a signifying the government of the church. Extol him in the, we come together on Sunday morning here in this figuration at this particular time, we come together and we extol him as a congregation. There's a lot going on there when we're doing that, by the way. Praising him in the assembly of the elders. We're also, the Psalm, I'm not going to read the verse, but Psalm 22 says, 22 3 says that he is enthroned and the praises are on the praises of his people. Some versions there say this, he inhabits the praises of his people. So in some ways, you and I, as we praise, offer praise to God, in some ways we are creating a place for him to abide in our praises. 
He, uh, as a matter of fact, the margin in some of your Bibles will say, dwelling in your praises. Dwelling there. Psalm 22, 22 says, tell of your name to my brother, my brothers in the midst of the congregation. So one of the things that happens when we come together on Sunday morning, or any other time, but we do it most of the time Sunday morning, and, and Don and the team begins to strike up a song, one of the things we're doing is we're not just singing a song, and but we're testifying to one another. When you say, he's a God who does great things, Somebody on the other side of the room hears you, uh, well, maybe not hear you sing it, but we hear those words. He said, I'll tell this to my brothers in the congregation. And we're testifying to one another when we proclaim the truth, which is why what we sing is so important. We're not singing about heaven and earth and having a sloppy wet kiss. We're singing about exalting. You see, Where'd you get that from? Well, that's part of a song. We don't sing it around here. You might have noticed. But we sing songs that exalt the Lord Jesus. And we testify to one another about the truth. Boy, you got quiet. Here's another thing. Psalm 22, 25, he says, I will praise you in the great assembly. I will fulfill my vows in the presence of those who worship you. I will fulfill, so here we are, we're testifying to one another, we're proclaiming to one another the truth of God with truthful songs, truthful testimonies, but we're, we're also fulfilling our vows or proclaiming our vows. What are our vows? We've made a commitment to God. We made a covenant with God when we were born again. And we are, he says, I fulfill my vows. In the presence of those in, in worship and who worship you. So in the presence of the, all of us, we are proclaiming our covenant to God. Not only do we, are we exalting the Lord Jesus, but when we praise and worship, the Lord Jesus through his Holy Spirit sets the captives free. Here's a great example of that. About midnight, and I shared this a few weeks ago. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. I hadn't done that at midnight recently. I must share with you. But by midnight, somebody not long ago sent me a text at like 1010 at night. I was so asleep, I didn't even know it. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners, listen, watch this, and the prisoners were listening to them. Lord help me. I believe it was the guy we had at the conference, the Alexander. Anyway, there was a guy in the prison, and every night he would sing this song of praise to God, very simple song of praise to God. And the the other prisoners would hiss and spit and just get riled up at his. He would sing this song of praise to God, but he did it every night, every time he had a chance. He would, and they could hear him through all the halls of the prison. He would sing this song of exaltation to God. And over time, the other prisoners, as they listened to this every day, their hearts began to change. And when the day came, that and it's a miraculous story to begin with, but when the day came that they released him, this is a Russian prison, by the way. 
released him from prison and they were walking him out. Every prisoner in that place, what you think they did? They began to sing that song that he'd been singing all that time. Captives. Prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, how many of you understand it wasn't suddenly to God? And suddenly there was a great earthquake. God said, oh my goodness, I was going to do something, but I don't need to now. There's an earthquake. (laughs) So that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Not just Paul and Silas, all of them. How many of you know they were in there because they did something illegal? I'm not, I'm not for just letting people out of prison for no reason, but I'm telling you that every person in that prison's shackles began to to be loosened. In the midst of their dire circumstance, in the midst of their challenge, they're in the prison because Paul cast a demon out of a girl. And the reason they put him in prison because that girl through her soothsaying and divination and fortune telling, she was making some folks a lot of money. Cause she put, get people around and she'd tell the money in the palm. Well, that he ended that. They're in, they're in that dire circumstance and they're praying and singing hymns. Now I dare say that you and I, if we were honest, that would not be our first response. I'm not even going to talk about what it would be. But when they were praying and singing those hymns, those prisoners were listening, and the earthquake came, and the foundations of the prison were shaken. And I want to tell you that if you you and I will disregard our circumstances in the sense of letting them govern us or rule us or make us depressed, if we will disregard that and praise God and worship God anyway, then the foundations of whatever that prison is that's holding you will be shaken. To such a degree that all of the shackles will be loosened and you'll be set free. Jehoshaphat sent praise ahead. And when Jehoshaphat had taken counsel with the people, they were facing an attack, by the way. He appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. As they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Now think about this before we move to the next verse. You're a part of the worship team. And they come along and say, well, we've got a battle today. We're facing an onslaught, and uh, here's what we're going to do. You guys go on out there. No, you're not taking any any guns or swords or knives or you just go on out there in front and you begin worshiping God. Uh, you know, if you're part of that, you uh, uh, wonder where that came from. It's, and we're going to get we're going to be in front. We're going to be out there, and don't miss that the warriors are back here. The ones with weapons, they're back here, but the people singing to the Lord are out here. 
Jehoshaphat got this word from God. And when they began to sing in praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah. I'm not done yet, Lisa. Sorry. <laughs> Let me turn this one off. <laughs> Who had come against Judah, don't miss that the name Judah means praise. Exactly what it means. They had come against praise so that they were routed. In this particular instance, don't miss that there were times the warriors went out front first. But in this particular instance, the singers went out, began to praise God, and God set an ambush, and they won the victory. Never had to shed one drop of blood on either side except for the ambush. Praise and worship. I love the story of David. When Saul, King Saul, is near the end of his reign, he's already got problems David's music drove, drove away the evil spirit from Saul. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And an evil spirit from the Lord, and I'll let you process that, terrorized him. An evil spirit terrorized him. And you skip down a few verses, it says, so it came about whenever the evil spirit from God came to Saul, David would take the harp and play it with his hand and Saul would be refreshed and be well and the evil spirit would depart from him. Never discount the impact or the value of anointed praise and worship. Don't even discount the impact of music, period, because it can have a negative impact. We've, we told, so I guess, Nate, if you're watching, this is about you. But when Nate, when Nate was a teenager, he got, to, he was listening to rap music. And then he became a thug. He, every, every day, he was, he was more and more a thug. Well, there are no thugs in the Granger house. So, my wife and I, we got, we got, we had a stack of CDs. Give me your music. So I, I went through it. Nope, nope, nope. And you know, there was one or two. And then he would take one and he'd look at it. He said, I'll just throw that one away too. <laughs> and so we took his rap CD. By the way, rap music, in my opinion, is a contradiction in terms. Anyway, that's just, that's not theology. That's just me. And, so we took his music, his rap music away. I don't know what he listened to. I mean, within a week, we had a new child. New, new son. All that thug stuff went away. And then I made a stupid move and I said, well, let's try giving it back to him. So we gave him back some of his, not all of them, some of his rap music contradiction in terms. All of a sudden we had another thug in our house. Well, this time we got rid of the CDs, and they weren't coming back. They they burn really well if you put a good in the flame to them. And then we got Nate back. 
to Nate. Today, Nate is an elder in his church in Louisiana. He preaches a lot of Sundays there. If they're not having church today, he's probably watching, but if they are, he's probably preaching. We weren't, it wasn't gonna, wasn't gonna allow, but here was the, my point of all that. Not that he's such a great guy, although he's a great, you're pretty good, Nate. <laughs> Music makes an impact on people's lives, either positively or negatively. In this case, David played the harp, worshiping God. Samuel was refreshed. The evil spirit left him. We used to get mad at my wife's dad. Um, I mean, here's a guy who, when he's 31 years old, Oshner's clinic in New Orleans said to him, you have a parathyroid tumor. You're going to live two years at the most, and there's nothing we can do for you. Except try to, you know, give you some medicine, try to help you out best we can. So he goes back, he's working, and he's at work, and he says, He's, he says, told me, he said, I was basically an agnostic. I wasn't an atheist. I knew there had to be a God. But anyway, he said, I looked up. I said, God, if you're real, if you're really there, I ask you to save me and make me whole. Immediately, he was saved and, and uh, went back to Oshner's clinic to see what they were going to do about that parathyroid tumor. He didn't have one. He didn't even know what he was praying when he said, make me whole. But that's not what would make us mad about him. We would, we would, at least on two occasions, we would go to meetings. I'm thinking of one, we were in Dothan, Alabama, a big room full of young people. And back then, my wife and I were young people. But, uh, so it's, you know how long ago that was. And we were singing and praising God and worshiping God. Most of us sitting on the floor in a big old room. And he, when we got there, he could barely walk. He had really problems with his legs. He, I was thinking the other day, he was, at that time, he was the same age as our oldest son now, 47. But he couldn't, he was having real problems with his legs. And as we were singing and praising God, when we got done, he popped up like popcorn. I said, what's up, Wilson? He said, Lord, heal me. You didn't even ask to be healed. Nope, but he did it anyway. In the midst of praise and worship, and at least one other occasion, that same thing happened. God healed him in the midst of praise and worship. He never asked for prayer, never asked to be healed. So, we, you know, I don't know if we should be mad at him or mad at God. I don't know. <laughs> praise and worship is not just singing songs. I'll finish up with this. Praise him in the assembly. It's sort of a, sort of a summation. Praise him in the sing praise in the assembly. Psalm one forty nine verse one. Sing praise in the assembly and the congregation. Sing praise. Praise him. Now this is going to make some people nervous. Praise him with the instruments. Look at Psalm one fifty. I was just going to read the last verse, but I'm going to read it all. It's a really long psalm, so maybe you can bear with me. Six verses. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. 
Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Praise him with steel guitars. Praise him with fiddles and violins. I'm sorry, Don, it had tambourines in there. I'm sorry, but can't do anything about that. The entirety of our praise and worship is is all of these things. It's our voices. It's our instruments. I mean, they got a, what's that instrument now? They got a percussion. They sit on it and do this to it. What's it call it? I call it a box. What'd y'all call it? Everybody said different times. Cajon. Well, we use that word other ways. I'm not going <laughs> to. I'm going to leave that alone. A box. I mean, you can sit on a box and praise God. First time I saw somebody playing one of them, I thought, well, what in the world are they doing? They couldn't find something to play? Paul writes in Ephesians 5 this, address one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Making melody to the Lord with your heart. So when we come together, whether it's this room, whether it's you and two other people, or you or ten other people, or whatever it may be, if we begin to sing, then we we are addressing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing, making melody to the Lord in our hearts. And then he closes out this psalm with, let everything, everybody say everything. everything. That pretty much covers it. I think we've covered it. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Breath there is Baruch. I said a Hebrew word. You didn't think I could, did you? And it's just simply the breath of God. Not just that you had wind, but that you have God's breath. Let everything that has God's breath praise the Lord. And that covers you. That covers me covers myriads of people around the globe today. Myriads of people gathering God, gathering somewhere today or some other day and worshiping God and praising God. That's the value, I think, biblically, of anointed praise and worship. And that's why it's such a vital part of our DNA as Abundant Life Church. Would you agree? Stand with me.